Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Marglin. And I'm Chris Marglin. Let's expand the conversation. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. The end of, not the end of the day for me. It's the end of the work day for me. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I understand that as well. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm Courtney. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ20 today. If you hear uh, weird scratching in the background, our little uh, rat dog <laughs> um, has decided it's now his time to find food all over the floor. He likes to place one piece of food at a time and then go back to it to uh, <laughs> make as much of a ruckus as he can before he puts it uh, somewhere in his mouth. So we apologize. <laughs> That's totally fine. I have... I have cats, one of whom is a, gets aggressive for attention when I'm on Zoom. So he, if we were in video, I, you know, he would appear at some point. He's gonna, he jumps up on his hind legs and puts his paws in my, on my, you know, legs on my lap to indicate that he's ready to be picked up. And if, if I don't pick him up, he starts butting my head, uh, butting my, butting my um, body with his head, and occasionally he'll like claw like he'll dig his claws in to let me know that I have to give him attention so it's um yeah he likes to be held like a baby so I have to like throw him over my shoulder like I'm burping a baby like that's how I like to be held <laughs> that's our biggest dog noodle is like that he's yeah. he's 120 pounds and he still loves to be held like a baby uh, he's I mean baby. Wiley is not 120 pounds he's probably more like 15 pounds maybe or less than that maybe he's more like 13 pounds but it's so heavy <laughs> when you're carrying him around it's it's like you know i'll be cooking i'll be like trying to type and i'm holding this child basically <laughs> that's exactly what it's like to be a parent yeah he's not going to grow up and support me one day <laughs> well that still can be what it's like to be a parent <laughs> <laughs> welcome welcome to the club <laughs> so we uh we always like to start off by saying we know who you are um we've been following you a long time but um our audience may be new to you uh so if you were to give your elevator pitch um who are you I mean, who who are any of us, really? <laughs> Big question. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a poet. Um, I started in sound. Um, uh, and all of my writing is is a wandering, I guess, of sorts. And I write in multiple genres and genres and among them. And I strike out for new ground always. Um, I don't think I've ever sat too still in my life physically or on the page or in in my in sound and in, in movement. Um, so that's me. Um, but I also want to add that I have a really strong commitment to making connections outside of my own creative practice. So my earliest um, my earliest years professionally in terms of work before I you know ever went to 
to graduate school and thought that I would like to be a professor um, is that I was an organizer, not, not a Marie Kondo type of organizer, <laughs> like a political, I was a political organizer. I did work for four years actually. And I ended up running um, a nonprofit policy organization in Albany, New York. And then I, I ran a similar type of organization in Washington, D.C. that advocated for um, students in higher education. So that was my professional life before I, you know, thought that I wanted to, you know, delve more into the, my artistic practices and, and go to graduate school and study poetry and all of that. But even since then, I've been um, editing, um, publishing, translating, curating. Um, so a huge part of my practice is, is doing that work as well. In fact, I'm trying desperately now, I've just turned 50. I'm trying desperately to prioritize my own work. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally, you're, you finally reached the time where that's, that's okay. I want, you know, I mean, I, I, all along I had mentors telling me, and I'm sure you may, maybe you have heard this, but all along I had mentors saying, you know, protect your time. Don't get too involved in, you know, make sure you make time for your own work. Make sure you write every day, make sure that, you know, all of that. And, I, I was just never able to. I was never able to follow that advice. So as much as I have written and published, and I'm, I'm proud of what I've have been able to do, um, I think that um, it's gone in waves. There has been time where I really focused on my own work, and then there was time that I really focused on editing and publishing and translating. And I'm at a moment now where I'm trying to, even though I've, you know, since I am a university professor by profession now, there's there's always a, like my my actual day job is serving other people, not not doing my own work. Um, but someday, I don't know, it would be nice to take a year off and just <laughs> we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to take a sabbatical from teaching, and you know, you haven't, you haven't found that uh, found that opportunity yet. <laughs> I've done it. I have done, but even when I was on sabbatical, like officially on sabbatical, I was I was working for. You know, in the beginning, I was I founded Nightboat Books, and in the early years, I was running it. I, I only for the first couple of years, then Stephen Motika took over running it. But I've been working with the press since that time. So that's, uh, you know, 17 years of that. Right. So yeah, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of work on behalf of other writers, which I'm very proud of. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, hundred percent. I wouldn't take anything back, but I do think um, I'm hoping to now see what, what I have, you know, what's the next book. You know, the last poetry book that I published was a book called The Voice of Sheila Chandra. And it was three long poems interspersed with these little short, short bits. And I, I really put everything into that book, like everything and everything and the kitchen sink, you know, <laughs> uh, I put all of my resources into it. I really, really, um, it's like everything I knew about poetry, I put into that book. So I'm in a blank, I'm in a blank right now. I don't really know what's next. I don't know you know, who to read or who, you know, what I'm going to write or, and I haven't, I haven't written, um, uh, during the pandemic, I wrote a lot, a, a bunch of, you know, poems. I don't know if it's going to turn into a new book or anything like that, right. but I haven't really written anything um, now since, uh, you know, since June, probably. So it's been... Um, Does some of that, though, feel... About five you know, months, yeah. Some of that kind of feel nice, though. I mean, there's a little bit of space. A pause? Between... Yeah. You know, it's terrifying. <laughs> You know, I've always written my entire life. It's just always been writing something. This is a long lull. This is a long, uh, this is a, this for me, I mean, I know, you know, Louise Gluck famously, she writes about, uh, 
you know, she has very intense work periods and then maybe two years where she doesn't do anything. You know, Lucy Brock Broido um, uh, very famously said that she intentionally would, after a book was published, um, not write for 1,000 days. Oh my gosh. Specific period of time, yeah. And that was sort of like imposing that period of silence in between. It's necessary, I think. I'll come out the other end of this with some other relationship to yeah. the um, I've never been interested in writing the same kind of poem or the same kind of book. I've always wanted to see like what else is around the corner. Um, so uh, not, not that I think, I mean, I think the other kind of poet who does, you know, you know, work in a genre and really, really create a body of work is I'm, I'm in admiration of that. I'm, you know, have a lot of respect for that. It's not the kind of writer that I am. So looking at um, some of your passions inside the world of literature, or even outside of the world of literature, looking, um, just looking more um, into you the last couple of weeks, looking forward to this interview. I know dance was one of your Yes. Um, I was a dancer when I was younger too. So oh. that, that was one of the things that um, I knew we had in common. So um, does that inspire your writing or those passions and things oh, that yeah. sometimes you go back to in order to um, re-inspire when you hit some of those lows sometimes? Yes, I love, I mean, physical practice for me was, oh, it's always a huge part, whether it's yoga or dance or, or other things now, but um if I could have had a dance career I would have you know I wasn't as I, good as I, I feel you. Wasn't, yeah yeah <laughs> I was not as uh you know my passion outstripped my ability and <laughs> happens to so many of us <laughs> yeah uh, yeah as happens as happens but um but I love dance and I still I still do dance I still perform um most recently I created um videos I created dance videos um, that was about a year and a half ago before, like when the pandemic first started and we were all like kind of locked in our house, I was kind of thinking like, uh, what kind of dance can be created in, 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 in our own spaces? Like we don't have a stage, but we have like a room that might have a lot of space in it. Unless you have an island in the middle of your kitchen, that room tends to be a room that has things around the edges, but not in the middle of it. So I have a dance where I'm in my kitchen, you know, um, using that as space. Um, but I would, and I would still perform again too, if I had the chance and if the, was the right choreographer or the right, whatever it was. Um, uh, and I did dance in a company briefly, um, like, um, a community company. Uh, and so it was, we all had day jobs and then we were dancing at night. Um, oh, I love it. yeah, I did that for a couple of years and there's no video evidence. I mean, there are videos, but I don't, I don't have any of them and I don't know. Scouring the dark well, anyone web. that's out there. There are definitely photographs. I mean, there are still shots. Um, the, 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 the company was called the Cocoon Theater, Modern Dance Company. Cocoon Theater is a theater and community theater in Rhinebeck, New York, where I lived at the time. And they, that was, it was their modern dance company. So you can see photographs of me in spandex that those photographs exist. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, Tagged in show notes below. I know, I know. They, you know, they, the choreographers danced with a, a, um, a, a company um, run by a guy named Alwyn Nikolai. And so he was really into um, like kind of experimental dance and, and you know, he, he did a lot with props and stuff like that with the dance. So we, they were sort of inspired in that direction. So there's one dance where they had mud on the floor and we were all rolling in the mud, you know, while during the dance. So you can see there's photographs of me on there where I'm just caked in mud, you know? And then there was another dance that I did where 
I was tied up the entire time. <laughs> this is my favorite kind of dance because I was a ballet dancer and then did jazz and modern and all yeah. through school, all the way through high school and then um, through college too. It was my favorite. Yeah, I love ballet so much. It's so beautiful to watch. And I like probably every dancer trained a little bit in the technique itself. Um, you know, I, you know, I could never do any of the performance of that is just so graceful and athletic and requires such training, you know, so it's not really that, but anybody can move and dance can yes. be any type of movement in any type of body. So I think I also discovered that on my dance journey. Do you think in, it's kind of an interesting way to look at, at the writing process as well. Do you ever find a time where you're, you're, does the process of putting together like a new dance or of uh, working toward a performance, do you find that that's similar to putting together poems? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the shape and the space that exists, the structure of a dance um, and the shape of a poem and how it can be constructed and the, and the beginning and the end of it, it for sure taught me. And there are poets who work in that mode too. I mean, Olga Brumas is another poet that I can think of who also has a background in dance. And Josie Fu, um, she wrote a book called A Lily Lilies, which is actually a collaboration with a choreographer. And oh, a choreographer good. who's a woman named Leah Stein wrote, wrote choreo choreo choreography for the poems and that they That's were included amazing. in the, um, they were included in the book itself. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, you should take yes. it. Look at, that was published by Nightboat Books, that book. A Lily Lilies. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And there are other, there's a lot, you know, I, you know, I came to know a bunch of um, poets who have dance backgrounds just because it's something we talk about. So Kirsten Kaschok is one poet, um, Christina uh, Vega Westhoff, who's published by Nightboat. She also has a dance background. And Julie Carr, I don't know if you know Julie. That's a name I definitely know. She, she was a dancer for many years, professional. She, you know, these are all people who were their professional dancers. They toured and did all of that. I never did any of that. I would have if I could have. <laughs> in, my, in my other career, I was a dancer. I know. I'm the quiet type. When here. you go through your writing process, are there any, um, any like rituals that you have or um, anything specific that you do when you are headed into it or coming out of it? I need time. I mean, I like time and space. I like those moments where no one else is abroad. So, so I, I do, I am an insomniac. So I frequently, well, not frequently, but, um, uh, you know, when, when it hits me, I wake up at, you know, two, three in the morning, you know, and so I will utilize that time. I like to intro myself by reading some kind of beautiful evocative poetry to kind of get me going. Um, my friend Bloss and I, we were just talking yesterday, actually, we were just talking about how um, we do this, we did this writing exercise once where we read Alice, Alice and Venice White's um, second book, not the recent one, the one that came out, the one, the one before that. We read it out loud to each other and we're writing while we were reading it. Or um, Donald Ravel is a poet who's very evocative to me. It's his writing kind of opens something up in me. Um, you know, uh, Susan Howe is another writer who, when I look at her work, I'll often look at a page or two and or a line or two and then start writing. So that really does help me a lot. And I need, I need, um, 
I don't know, focus and caffeine. I like to drink coffee. <laughs> <all> right. <laughs> I understand the caffeine. Yeah. It's funny. We, we actually talked to a bunch of people who say they were like, you know, they'll make a cup of tea and set it down, but never drink it. They just have to have it there in front of them. And that's. Oh, no, I definitely it. drink the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> 400 yeah. cups. <laughs> yeah. And then during the pandemic, I started to get into storytelling, like writing fiction, but like not literary style, but like, um, so I wrote the science, I'm uh, not science fiction, fantasy. Um, I was one of my former students from the community of writers where I was, I sometimes teach in the poetry week there. She, um, her name is Catherine Factor. She started working for Choose Your Own Adventure, writing Choose Your Own Adventure stories. Oh, so cool. So I wrote a Choose Your Own Adventure and I pitched it them. I said, I don't want to write one of the short books. I want to write a big, long fantasy novel that is going to be a Choose Your Own Adventure. So that's what I worked on all during the pandemic. And it just came out. It's called The City oh, I love of Hers. Yeah. Oh my, that is amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. I'm, it's supposed to be the first in a trilogy. So... I'm, I've got to get start. I got to get to work on book two. I have not. I haven't started book two yet. I it's, I got some ideas for what it's going to be, but and I now can't even imagine the, it was the very process. Different. The well, process I mean, of coming up with different storylines for the same the same story. I I can't even. Like, I my head does not play those games. No, it's not. It's it's so easy because when you're you know any writer when you're writing a fantasy story or a plot driven kind of adventure. There's choices that the, the characters make all the time. All you're doing in a choose your adventure is saying, I'm actually gonna write both choices. I'm not only gonna decide, okay, they're gonna go down the hall. Instead, I'm gonna say, no, they're gonna wait and see what happens. Or they're gonna like, what are they, are they gonna pick up the gun? Or are they gonna, you know, try to reason with the person? You know, there's <laughs> always choices. So the excitement of doing choose your adventure was I got to write all of them. And then I get to bring the reader in, in terms of the reader gets to create the kind of story that they love the most. And it is, particularly since it's YA, I got to write the kind of story that I wish I could have had, you know? That's amazing. I was a middle was school so teacher, much. so that yeah. speaks to my heart. Yeah, we've Jess. both been teaching for, you know, 20 years now in middle school, oh, so, this, no. so this is- Well, yeah, you'll love this book if you have if you have a chance, you should check oh, it out. Oh, my, my shelf in my classroom is full of, I have, I've got 20 plus choose your own adventure books that my students go to all the time. Yeah. So uh, we might have to look at it. This one is not like the, those ones, though, they're all very, this one is a big fat 300 Perfect. feet long. Yeah. So it's a little different than the, you know, the, those ones you'd read like a little paragraph. Okay. But this one you read, there's a real narrative in it. There's 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 a there's a there's an overarching plot that you slowly discover, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it too. It was really fun to work on. So during this um, whole process um, and journey that you've been on, have you come across any pitfalls um, or anything that you would warn somebody else about or um, give them a heads up on if they were coming up through uh, kind of the poetry or writing world? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm probably going to say something that everyone has heard for a long time, um, which is read a lot, be generous to other writers, do not get distracted by whatever the reward system is that's out there, because it's really, you know, it's not, it can actually be very destructive. It's not gonna help you in the long run. The best thing is to do is to write the things you want to write, um, to write the things that give you pleasure, um, to work hard, to, you know, don't, and don't worry about what other, you know, 
people or institutions or anybody, however they judge it. It's not that important. You know, I'm a poet who then decided to write a YA fantasy book. <laughs> Waited around to think like, how are people gonna view that? Am I gonna be taken seriously anymore? Like, I don't really care about that anymore. And I'm, yeah, and I'm you know, I'm at a point in my career now where it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but I, I wish it hadn't mattered to me all along. I wish it, I wish I could have, could have arrived at this point quicker. What are you most <laughs> excited about um, that's coming up next? Yeah, what in the what world? What am I most excited about? Uh, the world of, in the world, in the world of, of literature. literature. We know oh, in you. general in the world. In general, of what is, general. what are you excited about that's coming, that's coming up or that we should know about right now? Yeah, well, I'm always excited about um, new writers who start to publish. Um, I've just edited this anthology for Red Hand Press called New Moons, Contemporary Writing by North American Muslims. Very it's cool. A big, it's a big fat anthology of Muslim writers. And many, you know, some of them are the people you've heard of who have published many books, you know, or, or some books, you know, Tarfia Fazola is in here, Kawi Akbar is in here, um, Uzma Aslan Khan is a wonderful fiction writer is in here. Um, uh, but along with those established, uh, you know, very established writers, there are tons of uh, emerging writers and including writers who've never published anything before. And this is their very first publication. Oh, wow. So that's that's really, yeah, it's very exciting. And so I'm looking forward to, to these writers, their careers growing and, and them continuing to publish and you know, Red Hand is such a great Yeah, they're doing good work. They're doing really good work. Um, in one particular, I'll, I'll mention, uh, you know, there's a writer named uh, Noor Hindi who's in this book. She's a new, she's sort of up and coming uh, young writer. She's great. I look forward to seeing a book from her. Uh, there's a right, wonderful writer named Mariam Bazid in here. Uh, there's a writer named Farah Kafur. These are just great young writers who, recently graduated, have published a couple of things. Noor Hindi's published quite a lot, actually, in fact, but the other writers I mentioned, you know, so that's the exciting part about being, a, um, you know, bringing other people in, bringing other voices in. Uh, as an editor, there's no greater pleasure than to see someone, you know, that you have brought in then become successful and, and get their voice out there. Awesome. I think that's a fantastic spot to end on. I don't think there's a better note than that. Uh, I love, thank you so much for lifting up so many authors. Uh, thank you. That's such a, it's such a pleasure for, for us. And I know our audience definitely takes a look at like a book list. Um, so we are really excited to, uh, to be able to share new names with people. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with us on TPQ20. It's been an honor to speak with you. Thank you so much. And I hope that we get to meet each other in person sometime around the sun. Oh, that I do too. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for sharing all of the wonderful things that you have coming up. I'm so excited to read your new YA uh, novel. Yes. The Citadel of Whispers. The Citadel of Whispers. We're going to have that wonderful. in our show notes so that everybody can check it out and get it. Yeah, you can get it anywhere. It's all over. You can get any bookstore. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful yeah. rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and subscribe.